If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Recorded live. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. It was, it was a great turnout. Um, so we look forward to doing doing the next one in Mexico. I'm very happy for you. Thank Turn you. Out. That's so sweet. Thank you. Is that? Did someone join? Good us? evening. Yeah. Good evening. <laughs> Hi. Could you, could you tell by the the trumpets and the? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of an entrance. <laughs> it really is a grand entrance with the talk show. Good evening. Good evening, Amanda. Hi. Good evening. Hi, everyone. It's good to connect with you. Um, yeah. It's good to be here. Good to plug in. I've been looking forward to this conversation, this call today. Um, it's always so good when you can uh, consciously align with others and have a heart-centered conversation. I've been contemplating a lot about the program and um, restructures and rejiggering. We're always rejiggering things so it can be um, a better quality product for everybody and a good experience. And um, so we're doing some really fun work so we can uh, enhance the program for everybody for next module. And my intention is to continue to enhance the program until it feels perfect. But um, anyway... Uh, with that said, let, why don't we just dive right on in? Let's just plug on in. And Amina, if you don't mind, I'm going to lead with the prayer and meditation today. I'm Great. Feeling, Thank you. Feeling, feeling yeah. Tall. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> all right. So let's all just sit with our spines erect. Take a few deep grounding breaths in. Centering in this space, this moment. Noticing our inhales all the way in as it fills up our chest, observing it as it transforms into an exhale and exits our body. Breathing in, transformation, sharing with the collectives. Breathing in love, allowing the love to transform your awareness of self. Share that healing awareness with the collective. This is our breath. And we invite in waves and waves and waves of bright white light to flow through our physical body. Bright white light grows from a small ball in the center of our chest. It fills our entire physical being from the top of our head to our toes. This bright white light soaks in and saturates every muscle, every bone, every organ, every cell, every atom, every electron of our physical being. 
It grows to fill our auric field, our etheric body. And so we recharge, rejuvenate, realign our energetic centers, our energetic body. We invite waves and waves of this bright white light to flow through like a cleansing waterfall through our emotional body. Supporting us and releasing past experiences that no longer serve our present day commitment to live in love. We release any resentment, blame, shame, regret from the past. We cut the cords from the past that are keeping us weighed down bringing with us only the loving wisdom we can harvest from past experiences, from this life and past lives. We release ourselves from any vows we've taken in this life or past lives, vows of poverty, vows of chastity, vows of revenge, freeing ourselves so that we can be renewed, restored, rejuvenated in the now moment. We send waves and waves of this bright white light energy into our mental bodies, creating space and clarity where there is once density and confusion, illuminating our mind, allowing divine wisdom to flow through our awareness. We are one with the mind of God. We are one with the heart of God. We are one with God. We are extensions of God manifested in this beautiful, unique expression. We extend this light to fill the room that we occupy, to fill the building, to fill the block, to fill the city, to fill the country. Taking a moment to really breathe in that statement, to send waves and waves of light to any place where there is discomfort, anxiety, disorder. We send this light to our political leaders, soaking them, saturating them in bright white light, the light of divine wisdom, the light of divine clarity, the light of divine love. We send the light to fill the planet. We see the entire planet, our planetary hostess, our planetary goddess, Mother Earth, enveloped in bright white light, cleansing, clearing, rejuvenating, restoring, transcending. Like a ripple in the pond, this light expands into the galaxy, into the universe, until everything we can comprehend and beyond is one with this bright white light. And we take a moment to clear our mind, create conscious intention to clear our mind so that we may recognize God as we gently place our attention on our breath and we breathe in the light, and we breathe out the light. We're aware of the light. We recognize the light. We are the light. And I want to offer you a simple mantra for the next minute. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Allow that to be your mantra, your anchor, as we sit in silence for one minute.
taking a deep breath of gratitude, grateful for the opportunity to connect here in the light, as the light, through the light we go forward, offering up any block that might prevent us from being fully present in this moment. Any to-do lists, any anxiety, any fears about the future, we just place it on the altar so we can alter our perception of that which seems so big. Handing it over so we can take a breath of freedom, feel the freedom that comes with recognition, recognition of our true self. We allow our true self to come forth to express freely as the experiences, as our relationships, recognizing the Christ in our relationships, the innocence, that which God has made. Thank you, God, for all the good we're experiencing. Thank you for the opportunity to come together, to be the two or more who are coming together with a shared intention to recognize a deeper awareness of God's love, to experience that, our inherent truth, our gift from God. We dedicate the merit of our time together to any LGBTQ person, to any person on the planet who feels alone, who feels like they're suffering, who feels lost or limited, knowing that where they are, the full mind of God resides, so pure potential lies within them, knowing that for them, knowing this for us. We go forward with our hearts and minds open in perfect congruency, and we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Okay, beloveds, beloved, so good to be here with you. So happy to know that they're getting ready to, uh, they're setting up for Jacob Glass over at the Heart Center, that these conversations are happening all over the city, all over the world. Good to know that so much light, so much love is expressing everywhere. And I know that it can seem as though there's a lot of darkness and confusion and that that seems to be more relevant and more prevalent than the love, but it's not. That's actually an ego reaction to all the love. When the ego feels as though the gig is up, it has to respond louder, seemingly louder, so we can get our attention, hook us in. So... Part of our job as practitioners, as spiritual teachers, is to discipline our mind enough to accept that that ego display is arising, that it's expressing, and then to shift our mind and focus on the love. And so we can create more expressions of love, of light, in our relationships, in our communities, in our minds. So I'd like to start today by just uh, sharing a little bit about the retreat in Mount Shasta. It was beautiful. Fourteen wonderful people all came together to do some deep spiritual practice. Um, the uh, It's hard to explain, really, the vibrations, the feeling tonality of Mount Shasta, but it's definitely palpable. Uh, Amina, I'm not sure if you'd like to share a little bit about just the energy of the environment of the atmosphere. But um, I definitely felt felt the pulsation of peace. <laughs> yeah, it's a very peaceful and beautiful place. And yeah, you can't really put your finger on it, but it is just 
so delicious to be there. And I think everybody just felt so like relaxed and tuned in and we just kept going, oh, this is so beautiful. Oh, I love it here. Oh, it's so wonderful. It just that it just kind of evoked that kind of response and it, the surroundings were just gorgeous. So, yes. I think a lot of it has to do with the water too because the water there is, they say it's perfect water. It's like untouched, pure water. Some of the best water on the planet and uh, revitalizing. And so we were just bathing in it, drinking in it, um, and I really feel like that supported us in feeling elated, <laughs> as well as just coming together and loving each other up and you know setting the intention. But um, I'm I'm very excited for Reverend Roxy to come this uh, this weekend and share with us and teach. She'll be teaching at She Spot and co-teaching with me on Sunday, and then uh, she's going to be doing a workshop on uh, Sunday as well which is going to launch into her six-week um, class series on sexual expression, sacred sexuality. Um, she's a wonderful teacher. Uh, also, <coughs> we've decided to put on the books for Saturday a class just for practitioners, uh, free class. Well, you can offer a donation because she's offering her time. But with Reverend Roxy, from 12 to 1.30, 12 to 1.30 this Saturday at the Heart Center. And it's an opportunity for you to come and ask any questions about the Course in Miracles. Reverend Roxy is a gifted course teacher, very, one, of the, one of the best that I've ever worked with, um, and really applies the teachings. Uh, you guys are going to start working with course philosophy this next module. We're going to be putting a little more of it. Usually we wait till the fourth module to really dive into the course, but we're going to start weaving it in because next module is all about forgiveness, radical forgiveness, which is an extension of Course, uh, course Miracles teaching. So I'm going to just offer some course teachings in the process as well. And so if you were interested in uh, having a conversation about Course in Miracles, uh, Reverend Roxy actually teaches what she calls the Course Trilogy, which is Course in Miracles, the, um, oh, what's the second Way of one? Mastery. The, the Way, way of, of mastery. mastery. Yeah. The Way of Mastery and the Course of Love. And those two are how you take the teachings and really apply them, get them moving in your life. And um, she's really living it, man. So, um so Saturday, mark that on your calendar if you're interested. I'll put post in the All Practitioners groups and in all our Facebook groups from 12 to 1.30, donation-based uh, uh, private teaching class with Reverend Roxy Benson at the Heart Center, all about the course. Um, and you can ask any question about the course, any, anything that you have. It. Uh, if you're new to it, if you are, uh, have more experience with it and would like to have some clarity or just or just uh, engage in conversation about it, this is a wonderful opportunity to do so if someone has a lot of experience with it. Um, so that's this Saturday. I'd also like to check in with you guys uh, about, so just to cap that conversation, Mount Shasta was awesome. It was beautiful. We had some really deep healing, some really deep work done, some time just in nature to relax and it's gorgeous. And we're grateful to be able to have the opportunities to do that stuff. Um, I'd like to just hear your uh, some takeaways and your thoughts about your 
class with Garrick Angel, who is one of my very favorite people on the planet. Just a ball of love. So I'd like to hear, uh, I just started listening to the class. Um, I haven't been able to hear it, listen to the full recording yet, but I'd like to hear your takeaways and uh, your experience with um, uh, your experience with it and any thoughts that have come up since and anything that you really appreciated about the call. Just open up the group and um, share your thoughts, comments, just check in. If you don't have uh, anything to share that you feel compelled to share about the class with Garrick, please feel free just to check in. I'd love to hear how everyone is doing, just to uh, touch base with the group. So, hey, um, Jeff. Hey, Hector. This is Hector. Well, the, I, I thought the class with Garrick was absolutely beautiful. He's such a gifted speaker and speaks in a very genuine way that I loved. Um, I, I think for me the key uh, the key message was that I just came to the realization that I'm doing a practitioner program, but I act, I never worked with a practitioner before. So the action item for me was to think about uh, maybe getting some sessions with a practitioner to better understand what it is because I've never been with a practitioner before. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, most um, spiritual teachers I know have a practitioner. I have a practitioner that I meet with regularly. I meet with some of the Inspire practitioners too as well actually in spiritual counseling sessions. Um, and it's really uh, a wonderful experience to sit with them and have a session with them. And uh, and you're going to get lots of opportunities to uh, explore that and work with that um, in the next couple modules. But I think it's a really beautiful intention to set is to have a couple sessions with a, a licensed practitioner. Very cool. And how are you doing? How is life um, unfolding for you, Hector? Life is really wonderful. Um, work is a little hectic, but that's normal. And I'm looking forward to some vacation this time. So that's good. Very cool. It's good to hear your voice always. It's good to see your face, too, on Sunday. Who else would like to share? Um, hi, this is Francisco. Uh, I just wanted to share, I did the Byron Katie work today, um, and I really enjoyed the video that we that I chose, um, which was, oh, let me make sure I have the right name for it. Um, how do I know when to leave? Um, I like the video because it, it was more about the future as opposed to some of the work that we've been doing on is more um, either present tense or past tense. So it was a different take on using the same worksheet, um, 
but using it to to solve fears that are future-based as opposed to issues or anxieties that are present or in the past. Um, and the way she kind of facilitated the conversation um, was really both inspiring and intriguing for that. Yeah, it's good and a really great, you did a really great write-up on it as well. And Thank I just want to say in front of everyone, well, I, you know, this is a blanket statement for everybody. Your, everyone, your, your forgiveness homework that you turned in, everyone did so great. Um, I love that you are taking off the gloves and really just digging into some of the stuff. And Francisco reminded me of that because he, uh, your, your homework, Francisco, was so beautiful and so genuine and authentic. Thank you. Thank yeah, and you know it's it's courageous to be that authentic, and um, and I, but I, but authenticity is so healing, and to be able to teach others how to forgive through your demonstration is such a gift. So um, I'm really I really just wanted to say that it's really beautiful work. You're doing really great work. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Anyone else? Hi, it's Bruce. Um, just hi, check. Bruce. Hello. Things are good. Um, it was funny that uh, Francis and I ended up picking the same Byron Katie video. Like, what are the chances of that? <laughs> um, uh, so things are sort of shifting around energetically, you know, for me, just in terms of work and my coaching practice and things in life. And um, I think I'm working on being more in love with things that are already in my life today than trying to build so much stuff for the future. I think I figured out that I'm neglecting some things in the present tense because I've been so focused on, you know, doing double duty, triple duty to get to, to something else, and I think I'm letting that go. So, at least for now. I'm so glad you shared that because that's really um, something I contemplated on the retreat. That's what came up for me is, you know, there's so much work on planning the future that sometimes you forget to just pause and enjoy the fruits of your what your creative efforts thus far. <laughs> right. And um, it's so helpful when you do that. Right. That and, you know, the doctor's getting after me. He's like, okay, you're neglecting yourself. It's like you gained weight. <laughs> your, A1, your A1C, you know, is all out of whack. Your pants don't fit. You know, you need to, like, focus on sort of some other things and what, whatever it is you've been focusing on. So I was like, okay. So that'll that'll help give a little extra zest to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's all It's all part of that self-love and self-care. And just taking care of ourselves, so so we can so we're not distracted by that stuff. So we can do what we're really passionate about doing. Great share, beautiful. Well, we have about five minutes left that uh, for sharing that I've sort of uh, reserved for sharing. So if anyone else would like to check in, now is your opportunity. Okay, we can definitely move on. 
So our next module is all about forgiveness. We spend an entire module on forgiveness and the many the different levels of it. And within that we also explore some of the mystic mystical teachings on oneness because in order to practice true forgiveness you have to be attuned with oneness and that's why we're going to I'm going to be bringing in more of the Course in Miracles teachings during our journey through radical forgiveness and there's going to be more sort of in-depth looks at you know bringing up uh, you know clearing out the past for us so that we can be fully present, you know, enjoy the present moment and then create a a vision for the future that feels exciting, that turns us on. And um, instead of just recreating past experiences, and that's what radical forgiveness is all about. It's about recognizing the patterns that have risen in our life that are opportunities for us to release the belief system. And that way we never have to carry resentments with us and those that felt like our greatest, you know, um, abusers, those that felt like our greatest challenges, we really see the sort of a soul contract with them in which they are supporting us and freeing ourselves from the restrictions that we have created for ourselves through misperception. So it's a very wonderful, the material is so rich and I really feel as though the Byron Katie work definitely supports the process of radical forgiveness of forgiveness because the Byron Katie work shows us where we are projecting our beliefs onto other people, where we are blaming others, you know, especially in the judge your neighbor workshop, blame your, blaming others um, or blaming fantasies for our unhappiness. And so it's an opportunity through the process of inquiry to take full responsibility for our experiences for our emotional bodies for our mental bodies and we can do that by not um, by releasing our belief in our thoughts the thoughts that don't make us feel good we don't have to attach to them and we don't have to but we've it feels as though we've, we've, we've built condominiums on top of those belief systems we've built an entire life around those negative belief systems that feel upsetting so in freeing ourselves from that and giving ourselves tools to support us in releasing ourselves, we can experience um, joy. And God is joy. God is in the joy. So this is why we do this work. And we've talked about, um, as far as the four stages of spiritual uh, consciousness, how the second stage, which is where we've really been focusing in on this module, is all about becoming, developing a deep understanding of that our, of the law of cause and effect, that our thoughts create our experiences. And so we've looked at different um, ways, different systems and different methods and different practices that we can use to support us in training ourselves to transcend, um, to not focus on the negative, to not get um, wrapped up in misperception, to develop that loving discipline to uh, 
shift our thinking onto what it is that we're interested in so we can create more of that because what we think about, we bring about, you know? Um, And not being afraid of confronting the belief systems that have created upset in our life because of that, you know, it's that just basic spirituality 101. I call it bumper sticker wisdom. You know, what you resist persists. So in avoiding or being the, the... um, convincing yourself, lying to yourself that you're not feeling a certain way doesn't do you any good. It's about accepting that you're upset, accepting that you're angry, accepting that you're sad uh, is the first step in becoming fully present. So then you can release the belief systems that are creating that experience for you. But it all comes, the first step is, you know, acceptance. So this class, I'd like to review the teachings of this module. Really look at like sort of the broad stroke, do a broad stroke review of this module. Um, And talk about, you know, what our big takeaways were. Um, Talk about where, uh, you know, what came up for us during the process. Talk about what we've learned. Talk about the second stage of spiritual consciousness, law. What we think about, we bring about. Our thoughts are creative, the law of cause and effect. So let's really just um, look at that, beginning with some of the teachings of Joseph Murphy and Byron Katie, and then uh, swing around some of the teachings from the Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity by Doing Gains. So I'm going to invite everybody to take out uh, a journal, something to write with, and a pen. And you're going to take five minutes, five, uh, you know what, even less than that. Let's take three minutes. We'll take three minutes, and I'm going to invite you to, and even if it's not 100% clear to you, that's fine. But to take three minutes to just quiet your mind for a second, take a deep breath in, And then write down your biggest takeaways from the power of your subconscious mind. Like what are, the if you had to write down the bullet point learning uh, topics, you know, subjects that uh, you remember that really resonate with you, that you're applying in your life, write those down and we're going to do a, have a conversation about our big takeaways from power of the subconscious mind. So it's 7.02 right now, so I will um, put you guys on mute, and then we'll come back to the circle at 7.05 to discuss.
Okay, so uh, let's dive into it. So let's uh, we'll do um, alphabetical order to the best of my ability, um, and we'll start with uh, Bruce. B for Bruce, and Bruce, why don't you share what were your big takeaways or ideas or teachings that you're really pulling from Power of Subconscious Mind or questions that have come up? And Bruce, you might be on mute. Okay, no, no, Bruce. All right, I will go down the line. Uh, and I think it's uh, the Francisco. How about you? Hi. Um, okay, just wrote down a couple things. Um, at the seed level, everything that is in our life, we either asked or desired for it to manifest. Um, the subconscious mind is how we communicate to the universe around us. Um, our thoughts create a ripple effect influencing the world that we live in or around us. Um, the power of belief and faith is so strong that it can influence the physical world. Beautiful. That's all I have worked on. So if you were going to share with someone, if you were going to teach someone, or let's say you were sitting with someone that has come to you for counsel, and you were going to talk to them about the first teaching point that you came up with, everything in your world is, what, what did you, how did you phrase it? Um, I to see about everything that's in our life we either ask or desire to manifest. Great. And so let's say someone is going through a challenging time and they're like, well, how could that possibly be? How could I desire this? How would you explain that idea to them using the terminology from subconscious mind? Um, how would you make it make sense to them? When something bad happens to them, how do I how do I how do I use the power of the subconscious mind to to explain how they manifested that or how they attracted that? Right. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, when people are when people are uh, in victim consciousness, oftentimes they can't get on board with the belief, with understanding, or the idea that they've somehow invited this or created this into their life. So how do you share with them that everything in their life has either been desired or asked for in some capacity in some way? So I would say what, what you are spending your time thinking about, um, whether it's repetitive thoughts, whether it's good or bad, um, leaves an impression in the world around you. Um, And uh, let's see, there's a question about around you. Um, and through time, it, it, it kind of it brings it back into manifest. Now, when something happens in your life that is a negative or something that happens that is um, very upsetting, there is still a lesson to be learned from that experience. Um, what is the greatest good that's unfolding? 
What in your life can you learn from this to then switch your thoughts or switch your behavior to as not to attract it again? What repetitive actions are you doing that keeps this story continuously happening in your life? Beautiful. Give an example. Can you give an example from your life um, that would illustrate what you are teaching? Um, so this is one of the lessons that I, I learned a little earlier um, when I was in my early 20s and I was fresh out of college and I had all of these bills that would pop up. Um, my student loan bill, my car payments, my credit card bills. And all I kept focusing on was I want money to be able to pay the bills. Um, and I would get money to pay bills, but then I also more bills would show up. And so I had to, in my mind, really shift that thought of the purpose of me making money is not to pay bills. Um, and I had to really shift that out of my mind to not focus on bills. Because in, my, and then in doing so, I'm just telling the universe to give me more bills so I can pay them. Instead, it has to be a shift of I want money, I want resources to be able to do X, Y, and Z with them, not just to pay bills. Um, and once I started to do that and not focus on the bills, um, prosperity began to come in in different ways and different avenues, um, and the bills were no longer an issue. An example? Yeah, no, that's a great example. That's a really great example. Beautiful share. Um, and so, I mean, and I love that you were able to get, like, so specific with your thinking because that's definitely a nuanced adjustment, you know, um, and just a, a slight shift in the thinking that creates a completely different trajectory. Um, really beautiful, really beautiful. Um, great. Thanks for sharing. That's a really great share. So let's go to Hector. Hey. Hey. So what I, I think what I took away from this module was, uh, number one, your subconscious mind is like a bank where your mind goes to define your reality. So it is important to have a healthy environment in your subconscious. And there are many tools to do that, like forgiveness, question your thoughts, uh, visualization, affirmations, and things like that. The second thing that kind of was important to me was uh, your subconscious mind only thinks in the present. It doesn't really think in the past or in the future. And your conscious mind is the one that has the ability to provide direction to your subconscious mind to define your reality. Uh, the third thing that I learned was, in terms of the four spiritual laws of prosperity. Uh, for Hector, just for right now, let's let's stay on. Um, we're gonna get we're gonna um, go get to four spiritual laws, but. Uh, until before the break, let's. Uh, I like to just review subconscious mind. Oh, and then the third thing about the conscious mind, subconscious mind, is that it learns by repetition, over and over again. So you have the ability to change the program in your mind, 
by replacing bad negative thinking with good positive thinking. Yes. Beautiful. Um, and what do we call that process? What's the tool that we use, that most people use, to uh, keep our mind on the desired experience through the process of repetition? We call that, we, we use what? Uh, prayer. Uh-huh, yeah. And... Prayer. Affirmations. That's it. Yeah, affirmations. Yeah, yeah. I really love all those affirmations, the teaching from Ernest Holmes, when he says, you know, we're affirming the truth. And so it's like the golden key, the teaching of the golden key, where you affirm the truth. You affirm the truth. And then you allow the truth to express because when we're aligned with truth, then all our needs are always met because there's infinite possibility. We're tapped into infinite good. Thank God. Um, one thing that you said, Hector, uh, uh, inspired a question. Um, and this is something everyone to contemplate for the final. Is what does it mean, Hector, when it, they say to place guards at the gate of your mind? Uh, to really question every thought and decide if you want to believe in that thought or not. Yes, yes, beautiful, beautiful. We get to ask ourselves, is this something I'm interested in creating by focusing on it, by believing it? Is it true? That's why I think the Byron Katie inquiry is so smart because it's just asking, is it true? Placing guards at the uh, at the gate of your mind can also mean, uh, and this is something to really consider, everyone, being mindful of what you let in, what you let in, meaning what is the music that you're listening to? What are the messages in the songs you're listening to? What's the messages in the books you read? What's the messages in the media that you focus on? What's the messages in the movies you watch? Um, uh, so it's about just being mindful of what you place your focus on, not just internally on your thoughts, but also externally in the world around you. So placing a guard at the gates of your mind, being mindful of what you let in. Great, great, uh, great points, Hector. Thank you. So moving on down the train, uh, Cassie, are you on the call yet? Calling in around 17. Yeah, I'm on the call. Sorry, I had you muted up. It's all good. Um, so we're talking about what our takeaways were from the power of your subconscious mind and um, seeing if there's any points or teachings or uh, uh, lessons in that text that really resonated with you or come up to you as something that you apply in your daily practice in life? Uh, I think that book was sensational. I think it was so helpful for people who are interested in really taking responsibility for their life and 
you know, the point you just raised with the question, everything that that we think and speak is creating the field outside of us. The inner always creates the outer. And the subconscious mind has no sense of humor. The subconscious mind has no gate other than the conscious mind. So if we're asleep at the wheel on an autopilot, then messages are dropping down into it and it, it's having an effect. And, and the way to know if the messages that are going into the subconscious are healthy ones is you look at your life. You just look at your life and how smoothly is your life going? Are you experiencing abundance? Are you experiencing good health? Are you getting along in all your relationships, personally, professionally? And then you start to question, okay, those areas that aren't going so well, be super watchful. You have to watch yourself like a hawk. What, like you said, what music are you listening? What movies are you watching? What are people saying around you? I just left a yoga class that I taught, and students say all the time, oh, I have bad knees. So that message of I have bad knees, which is just story drama, is dropping into their mind, and it's just perpetuating that belief and that experience in the world. And I know this firsthand because I broke a vertebrae in my back, and I used to be one of those persons who said I have a bad back. And I said it for years. And that's what I had. I had a bad back. And as soon as I stopped saying that and started, you know, choosing my words more carefully, choosing my thoughts more carefully, I have a great back. My back is healthy. My back is strong. And I have mantras like I am dynamic, vibrant, radiant health. And I say it when I wake up in the middle of the night. And I say it before I go to bed. And I, like, since I read that book, Oh, my gosh, I am using mantras and affirmations like a mad woman, like a crazy woman, but like a healthy, smart woman who understands that this is a law and solid and um, and, and, um, and reliable as gravity, that what we think. So, you know, I cancel, cancel, cancel a mad woman, wild woman, because I don't know that I even really like the tone of that. But like a healthy person, like someone who loves herself, I speak to myself in a different way, and I'm super, super grateful for that book and all the ones you've selected because they've been wonderful. Awesome. All right, I accept that as a full endorsement of power of the subconscious mind. Yeah, uh, and and our willingness, the power of our subconscious mind, but and and our willingness and our, our willingness to take responsibility and our willingness to do it differently, and our willingness to, you know, ask for help, and all of that. That's great, yeah. Willingness is exactly right. And that's, you know, when we're talking about affirmations as well, that um, adjustment to affirmations can be so profound. We talk about it a lot, but it's so good. It's working with the subconscious mind. When we place in to our affirmations this idea of willingness, I am willing to feel abundant now. Because sometimes when your present day situation does not reflect your intention, it's hard to convince yourself of the truth. So if you're, if you have zero dollars in your bank account and you'd like to have the feeling of prosperity and abundance, but you can't fool yourself into thinking that you're because you, you just don't feel prosperous and abundant. You can be willing to feel abundant. 
And your subconscious mind can get totally on board with that. Your conscious and subconscious mind can work together. And the more you focus on that, the more you create the experience of it. It works. It's so effective. So um, in your daily practices, everyone, I really invite you to consider what adjustments you might be able to make in your affirmations so they feel like they resonate as honest. And when they resonate as honest, they are just more potent. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kathy. Wonderful chair. Magali, how about you? What in Power of Subconscious Mind, in the study of the Power of Subconscious Mind, really resonated with you or something that you took away and applied in your life today? Sometimes it takes a second for Magali to unmute themselves, so I'm just going to wait, give it an extra beat. I believe she is on the call. Thank you. Yes, I was having little phone issues. I'm here, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can, perfectly. Great. Great to hear all of you. Um, wow. Uh, I love this book. I love the language. It's easy to read, understand, and just get engrossed into. So uh, I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, I got to say, my takeaway is, is, is the practicality, like the practical techniques, mm-hmm. um, especially the focused attention. That's, that's changed a lot because I was on top, on the surface. So focused attention has helped, you know, to focus and narrow things down into, you know, this is this is what I can create, you know, with yes. with with the focused attention, with the the gratitude, the you know, the thank you, uh, always being grateful, and and the affirmative prayer. So definitely practical techniques and it's something that it's easy for me to to express to share and to encourage others to do like with my sister and you know she had a plan and I don't know if I'm going to do it. what do you think it's like well let's, you know take it into let's look at it this way you know don't put the negative language as, as we were saying again you guard facing that guard that's another part that I took you know all the time and it's just being aware okay I'm not going to use this negative words or this negative talk, I'm not going to focus on the negative. And that's another part that's really, really useful. And like I said, practical. It's quick. You know, oh, I shift. Uh, I'm, I'm focusing on the negative. Oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling this. And then just shift and, and place that guard. And, and uh, I, I also like the way that... um. He expresses it says explains that the subconscious is is like a pre- preserves life. It created our life. It created our body, and it's meant its purpose or meaning is to preserve us. So if we tap into that, if you know we recognize, we focus, we we tap into that, our the healing comes quicker. I I would say. So 
Beautiful. A couple of things. So knowing what we know, knowing that what we focus on, you know, uh, we create more of. Why? How would? Why would you? Or give me. Uh, explain to me why. Gratitude is effective as an effective practice, like doing a gratitude list. What is it about focusing on what you're grateful for? Why is that um, helpful? Well, if we're grateful for love, we're just inviting more of it to come to come in. If, if we're grateful for our health, we're just inviting it, and it's I guess like like in a circle, a cycle, you know. And it's it's you're focusing on. I'm recognizing your, the gifts that you have, and then being grateful for them is how do you say? It's like giving gratitude, you get to receive more without, I guess, without expect, without expecting it or demanding it, kind of way. Just no, open the door for more. I think you absolutely demand more of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's your right. It's your right as a child of God to experience ease and grace and, and joy and freedom. So when we are grateful... Are we focusing on what's not working or are we focusing on what is working? On what is. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so that's why gratitude can be so powerful because we're actually looking for what is working. And then we affirm through gratitude that our life is working. And when our life is working, we experience more ease and grace in our day-to-day experience. So... Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Very good, Magali. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, I'd like to say, too, that I really appreciated how transparent and honest and authentic you were with your forgiveness homework. And we may have an opportunity, if we have time, to, for people to share their process. And if you'd like to share what you, uh, what you wrote about, you can, right. you can do that. But thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you. Really high-quality work, guys. Um, beautiful. Steven. Even sorry. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Good. Hear you Good. Um, I just so some of my points quickly. Uh, subconscious mind doesn't judge. Um, I believe that you know because of there being no judgment and accepting what we put into our mind. Uh, not only I think. You know, do we? Is there a need to be mindful of what goes in there, in, in our mind? But also, I all I can think about is is uh, Katie's inquiry in in turning things around. So I often think about how do I renew my mind? How do I change the thoughts in my mind? Or how do I rid myself thoughts in my mind? I think oftentimes. Is not so much about ridding, getting rid of them, as much as changing, changing them around, and focusing on, on what it is that we really want. Um, I um, the other thing that I wrote down is our reality is 
informed or created by what goes in our mind. And I think it's where patterns of thinking, it's these patterns of thinking that could either create healing and bring about forgiveness and and abundance, or they can do completely the opposite. And it's I, I think it's in the subconscious mind that these patterns that we often talk about in terms of falling into dating the same kind of people, having the same results at work, always experiencing lack, and it's because we've formed that, that thought pattern and have embraced it. Not only have we welcomed it, but have embraced it and, and practiced it. Um, and so I think that being mindful of what we put in our mind, but also being mindful of what's already there sometimes is just equally as important. Yeah. I, years and <laughs> I years agree. ago, I'll just share a, re- a real quick story that came to mind when others were sharing. Uh, a quick, uh, years ago, I worked at an antique store um, and there was two guys who owned the store and they had been a couple for many years and had separated but stayed in business. And one of them suffered from, from a number of illnesses. Um, and I, and he focused every day about, he had to eat at a certain time. Everything had to stop because, because of his illnesses. And he had to do things a certain way. And um, every conversation was informed by one of his many illnesses. And I remember speaking to his business partner, who had been his his life partner one time, about this. And the partner said, you know, Stephen, if I had all the money in the world to pay for a cure for him, I wouldn't do it because I feel like in his mind, he would have nothing to live for because that's all he thinks about. That's his focus in life. And that's what he gets up in the morning because he has to take a handful of pills or he has to run to the doctor. And it just, it's always stuck with me that what we put in our mind and what we choose to, the pattern we choose to create in our mind in terms of our thinking that's going to be a reality. His reality was that he had to run from doctor to doctor, or he thought he did, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, the miracle says that healing to those who are sick can feel like death. So what you're, in essence, what you're saying is very much in alignment with that teaching that they become so identified with the illness that to be without it feels like death to the ego. Wow. So it's holding on to the the illness or the thoughts or the belief systems that are creating the upset or the you know I they talk about people talk about a fear of success. You know, people become so accustomed to almost making it or to surviving that thriving feels so uncomfortable to them that they sabotage the experience because they're so in alignment, so identified with the belief systems of, you know, uh, extensions of 
poverty consciousness. So it's a really great insight. It's a perfect share. That is a great um, demonstration of how the um, how our beliefs can keep us in um, in a place of upset, in a place where we don't want to be. But we don't. We've gotten so comfortable to be uncomfortable that getting comfortable is uncomfortable. <laughs> so uh, being willing to move through the discomfort is a big, big deal, you know. Really great share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, really good. I'm going to circle back up to Bruce. Bruce, are you, uh, are you yeah, back up? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry about that. Had to... All good. All good. Yeah. Uh, what were your takeaways or the, what you like to share? Oh, boy, everybody. It would have been easier to have gone first, wouldn't it? Uh, that's what I get. It's mine. So I think the only other thing that I can think to add is something that I've always uh, struggled with in the past is the idea, well, but what about, like, random thoughts? Because we all have crazy random thoughts, right? And And we think more things than we can possibly kind of control in a day. Um, uh, but I think through the book, it sort of clarified for me the idea that that even though like the subconscious mind doesn't have a sense of humor, it 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 does seem like it, it like it almost has sort of a counter or or there's like there's weight put on things based on how often I think it. So the sort of the, the force behind it. So the random thought is the random thought. And I can I can let that go. But what are the ways that I, uh, you know, I double down or triple down or whatever down, trillionth down on 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 something. So like a lot of I've noticed, uh, um, you know, and this is something I've been working on for a while that I'll use a lot of self-deprecating humor, you know, and so. Uh, uh, just re- re- you know, reinforcing that sort of over and over again. And I mean it sort of, I mean, I kind of half mean it, but I, I say it in a joking way, but, but just even that, that language, you know, so it's not the random thought. It's, it's the, is it a random thought or is this like a pattern? So, so a getting sort of let off the hook a little bit of something really is a random thought, random sort of crazy thought that sort of comes and go, but then to look at things that, well, how random is this, or you know, how often do is it that I say this to myself? Um, so that was the only thing I can think of, in addition to all the other great things that everybody else said. So, I'm so happy that you're bringing this up, Bruce. It's so great. One, there is a certain level of accountability that we have to develop, that we have to be willing to practice with ourselves when we do see patterns arise with quote unquote, you know, random thoughts. We're seeing them all the time. And we're experiencing um, the result of them, then there's definitely we have to hold ourselves accountable. And I think I talked about this on Sunday. As we as we um, start to bridge, as walk over the bridge to the state, the third stage of spiritual consciousness, we begin to understand the oneness. Like um, I was. Uh, really contemplating this last week the idea of one-mindedness, meaning that these fearful thoughts, like, you know, we, we see collective thought forms because people are focusing on the same thing, the same thought, the same fear, and then it manifests and expresses as, you know, like, I, obviously I'm thinking about this because of the campaign and all the anger and the rage, 
upset and all the stuff that's been manifest because we're so focused in on, like we're, collectively we're focusing in, in on these things. But but I read something where it says, you know, you know, consider the possibility of transcending the idea of saying my mind and start really thinking in the context of the mind. And if it's one mind, then all of those thoughts are floating in the collective consciousness. You know, all, I mean, they say, what, fifty to 70,000 thoughts a day that they're floating in the collective consciousness and it's the ones that we choose to pull down and focus on or, like Byron Katie would say, it's the thoughts that we choose to believe that begin to have an effect in our life. So we can observe the thoughts without having to believe them, without having to focus on them and give them time and invest in them. And I, I have to... I mean, I suppose that the most enlightened people, you know, teachers on the planet, still, those thoughts still arise. They just don't spend any time with them. They just observe them and let them float by like, you know, thoughts and meditation. So it's which ones are we focusing on? Which ones are we um, grabbing onto? Which ones are we believing? And which ones are we just fooling ourselves with that they're just random thoughts, but they're the random thoughts that come in multiple times a day, you know what I mean? So that's a great um, that's a great place of uh, inquiry, great line of inquiry to get into for sure. Beautiful. So a couple um, bullet point ideas for us all to think about before the final exam is what does it mean, so again, revisit that question, what does it mean to place guards at the gate of your mind? What does it mean when we say that the subconscious mind does not have a sense of humor? What does it mean when we say the subconscious mind does not have a sense of humor? What does it mean when we say the subconscious mind is impersonal. And then also contemplate that beautiful metaphor, that analogy that they used in the book about the conscious mind being the captain of the ship and the subconscious mind being the crew that just follows the captain's orders. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Sure. Uh, the last part or all of it? Uh, the last one. Review and contemplate the metaphor that they that uh, Joseph Murphy write, wrote about, I think it's in the first or second section of the book, where he gives the example of the subconscious mind being the captain of the ship and, I mean, the conscious mind, sorry, the conscious mind being the, the captain of the ship and the subconscious mind being the crew that simply follows the captain's orders and takes him where he tells you to go. So, what does it mean to place guards at the gate of the subconscious, uh, the guards at the gate of the mind? What does it mean when we say that the subconscious mind has no sense of humor? What does it mean when we say the subconscious mind is impersonal? And what how is that, what does that analogy bring up for you? What is that metaphor? How does that resonate with you? Any questions on that? Anyone want clarity around those questions? Anything else anyone would like to share about 
the power of your subconscious mind. On the impersonal one, is that the same kind of concept as what we talked about in the first module about things are personal and impersonal and that they, they're transcendent? Is it a similar concept? I don't Yes, exactly. There's no 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 one uh subconscious mind isn't playing favorites. It works the same way in everyone. We've read enough now that I'm getting and that we're repeating the, the some of the concepts enough that it's like, okay, was that was that this person's take on it or is that the other person's take on it? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well hopefully there's they're only, similar, but, but there's I, only one truth. Yeah, well yeah, but they can phrase it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sure. All right, thank you. You know, Jacob Glass has this theory, and I tend to believe him for the most part, that most teachings on spirituality, what needs to be said is said in the first 60 pages, and then it just starts to repeat itself in different ways. And uh, if you've you've read The Course in Miracles, you definitely see where that's relevant. And many spiritual books are like, okay, totally get the idea and the concept, and then the second half of the book, it's just like different examples, different ways, different experiences, different, you know, case studies, da 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 to say the same thing. But it's in the, you know, it's in the repetitiveness that it breaks through the walls, you know. So we can't really, uh, you know, absorb it and um, apply it. So any, uh, any other questions, thoughts? feelings, breakthroughs. Let's take five minutes. 743. I'll meet you back here at 748. 748.
Okay. Just everybody stretch their legs. Refill their chamomile tea. Um, so let's move on to Byron Kate. So let's do. Um, I'm just gonna. We're just gonna go down the list again, and just an open forum share of what your takeaways from the Byron Katie material has been so far. And we're going to continue to work uh, implement the Byron Katie uh, material throughout the rest of the module because it's definitely a great resource to have as we talk about spiritual counseling and working with other people and just helping other people. Even if you don't like if, if you don't feel called to like be a spiritual counselor, which is different than a therapist, which is different than a coach, um, this still is, I mean, just for your own life and just for, um, like Garrick Angel said, something that Garrick said in his teaching was really resonated with me is that um, whether you think you are or aren't a counselor, you are as a practitioner because there is a magnetism about the way you carry yourself because you were constantly working through limited thinking and expanding in your life, and that's magnetic. It's that idea in AA when they say uh, attraction rather than promotion. You attract people to you. And um, since love by nature extends, and we are made of that same stuff, we extend by nature, so we have to share the love, all the good. And people feel that. That's what people are interested in, truly interested in. You know, beyond the illusion of the material realm, beyond the career goals, the fitness goals, the relationship goals, the financial goals, all of that is... I mean, when you, when you begin to do this work, you begin to see the true value in it. And... There's nothing wrong with enjoying it. There's nothing wrong with pursuing it, feeling drawn to it, being called towards it. Uh, it will, if you feel called towards a specific financial goal, a specific career goal, and it feels good, go towards it because that's your special function. That's where you're supposed to be to support the awakening of all people. That's how we know. We go towards our inspired ideas. However, we don't take the job with us when this body expires. We don't take the relationship with us. We don't take the money with us. We don't take the accolades and the success with us. The only thing we take with us is the love. And so when we begin to allow more and more love to express itself through our experience, we begin to tap in with what we're truly interested in, what we're all truly interested in, which is to love ourselves, to love, to experience our true essence. And that's magnetic when we are able to transcend limited ideas and beliefs, transcend victim consciousness, transcend the belief systems of the ego, transcend the social belief structures that just don't make sense, and live in love. People, people pay attention, and they want to know how you did it. And I find the Byron Katie work is a wonderful way of just supporting people, even in conversations, to just lovingly pause and say, well, is that true, honey? Is that really true? And how do you feel when you believe that? <laughs> so, so we'll start back up again with Mr. B, Mr. Bruce. Um, 
and uh, give you an opportunity to share your takeaways and what you've really pulled from the Byron Katie work. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I really like uh, seeing the shifts in a, a, uh, because uh, when people are like, you know, they're really in the upset about something and she really takes them right to that upset point. Like she helps them paint the picture. What were you wearing? Where are you? And what's happening? And all that stuff. Which seems like it would like reinforce the someone's positionality on something, right? They, they're holding a position. They're holding a story about an idea. And then I love the idea of being able to do the reversals and say, well, how, you know, give me three ways that that's not true. Or how would you be if you didn't think that way? And, and just actively pursue uh, uh, what the reciprocal is of the, the thing that you're you're stating, uh, and how that that just what you know whether somebody wants to or not, it almost forces in in a, in a way, not the right word, but to so to look at it from you know the 180 degree angle, and then I, I love how that opens opens people up and. Um, yeah, so I found myself casually in conversations, just sort of saying, you know, uh, you know, well, where where do you think you'd be without that, with that particular? Where do you think you would be without that particular thought? Like, did that one really serve you? Um, and that, you know, that's a good, that's a good showstopper. <laughs> if someone's willing to, you know, be an inquiry. Yeah, exactly. It definitely requires willingness on the other person's part to release the thought, to, or at least willingness to be to try a different approach, to try a different approach. That's all they have to be willing to do is just to try a different approach. Beautiful. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, beautiful. Great. Um, Francisco. Um, going back to your, there's what you just said about the person having to be willing to have a different thought, what, just from your own experience, um, when you are met with someone that has that much resistance um, to changing their thought or to, to, to opening themselves up, what are either key words or phrases or techniques that you have in your little basket of tricks um, to help open the person up? You know, it's not really my job to open them up. It's not our job to open them up. That's their business, talking about getting in people's business. Mm -hmm. But what we can do as practitioners is know the truth about them. So knowing the truth about someone, that there is nothing wrong, that they are not broken, that the truth of them is that they are perfect, whole, and complete extensions of God, and knowing that there is not, you know, because people will try to enroll you in the problem. They'll try to enroll you into the story as to why they're right, why they're a victim. And we have to be willing to be, um, to stand firmly in the truth and not get enrolled in their story. And it doesn't mean that we're crass or mean or rude or anything. It just means that we listen actively. Um, there does come a point where you get to choose that if someone is coming to you with their challenge, it's because they're ready to heal it. 
and that they're not going to come to you if they're not ready to heal it. And uh-huh. so working within that, uh, the parameters of that, we just go into inquiry. We do our best, you know. Um, and that's why we learn um, subconscious mind. That's why we learn Byron Katie. That's why we spend time with the Dwayne Gaines stuff. Because these are easy, applicable, tangible tools that people can use to begin the process of inquiry, to begin the process of true responsibility. And, um, you know, it's the beginning process. But let me tell you, I've worked with people, Francisco, for over a year who was unwilling to do the work. They just wanted to come and complain, come and complain, come and complain. And that doesn't really turn me on anymore. Um, so I really get, I get very, uh, and this is something that we'll talk about a little later down the line, is I get very clear as to the type of client I'm interested in working with. I'm interested in working with people who are willing to do the work. You know, that's the kind of people I'm interested in working with. And when I get clear on my intention of the type of people I'm interested in working with, then it's those people that resonate with me because they're resonating with my intention and my vision. And I keep focusing on that. You know, I'm clear that I'm interested in working with people that are that are uh, willing to do spiritual work, that are, that are turned on by that possibility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I think what Bruce suggested uh, was really good is just to really ask them, well, how does it feel when you believe that? And how would it feel if you didn't believe it? Who would you be with some thought? Because that's at least language that you can talk to, and it gets people, at least warms them up to the possibility of having a new thought. If you think about it, it's the new thought movement, right? <laughs> so it's literally <laughs> choosing a new thought. Yeah, it's a great question. Really good question. Thank you for asking. Thank you. Um, Hector. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, I, I mean, for me, it was uh, one powerful thing for me was this idea that a lot of us live our lives uh, identifying with our thoughts. There comes a point where our self-identity is what we think. So I think that in the framework that she proposes, there is an opportunity to really, every time that you're angry or frustrated about anything, you just use those four questions for yourself if you're thinking or feeling something, you just turn it around and find three examples where that turnaround is actually true, and that is a good way for you to challenge the thought that you're having. Uh, and it's really that. You can use that in anything that you think or feel. And whenever you're having negative thinking, just Pause for a minute and imagine yourself. Who would you be with that thought and how would your life be? And I think that through the process of repetition, uh, it can become a good tool for you to have. Absolutely. Those turnarounds are powerful. 
turnarounds are really powerful. And again, it requires a certain amount of willingness to be able to participate in them. But, uh, and, you know, finding the evidence of that turnaround completely puts it in perspective. It gives you the enough fuel, enough proof to have a shift in perception, perspective, you know. Great, great, great insight. Great share. Thank you. You know, this group is a real powerhouse group. I don't know if you guys know that, but um, the uh, your writing is spectacular. The questions you ask is spectacular. The uh, willing, the spiritual sovereignty in this group is beyond any other group <laughs> I've ever worked with. You know, the willingness to just stop and say, well, you know, that doesn't work for me or I'm not sure, you know, explain that to me. It's really beautiful to be in uh, your guys' company because um, this is a really uh, badass group of spiritual warriors, y'all. I don't like that term, spiritual warriors, but, you know, just kudos. Kudos, kudos, kudos. I really enjoy uh, talking with you guys. Okay. Um, oh, I have my list written down here. After Hector, we go to Kathy. Yeah, I um, I I agree with all the beautiful shares from my colleagues in the practitioner program. I am so grateful that you included Byron Katie because I had friends who were, you know, telling me about her work and I wasn't really tuning into it. I was feeling quite happy and content with Course in Miracles as a, a tool in my toolbox. And I, um, it's really lit me up. I, it's really helped me tremendously in my own walk, uh, my own spiritual practice, because so much of, um, you know, my upsets, my own personal suffering comes from energizing and believing things that aren't true about myself, those false personal beliefs. And, and so it's a great tool to, as Hector said, and everyone else, to unearth your own sort of upsets. And it's going to be a fabulous tool for helping others, and I, I've been employing it a lot already because the more I employ it with others, the more um, comfortable I get with it, the more I see the practicality of it, the more I see it working, and I get to prove that it works. And I am just so bloody grateful for all of these tools, and um, it, it, you know, they work when you work them, when you challenge those false beliefs like Course of Miracles talks about you know bring doubt to the belief and that's what this work does is it brings doubt to it it challenges you to see it from a different side and um, I just love that preach sister yes exactly it's so great I mean if you really if we really think about think about some of these I'm really excited for uh, Reverend Roxy's visit because she's so masterful at getting people to question the belief systems that run our culture and just to say, why? Why do I have to believe that's true? You know, I mean, she gets really deep into, like, the belief systems that run the holographic universe, (laughs) you know. But really think about, like, like if if we look at, she was uh, really breaking down this whole thing about 
relationships, how, how, how having a heteronormative, Christian-Judaic, monogamous relationship is a multi-billion-dollar um, uh, industry. Maintaining the belief that that's what we have to have is a multi-billion-dollar industry. And she goes, really, look at that belief system. Who says we have to have a, a you know, uh, one partner, a monogamous relationship that we're not allowed to, you know, have sex with other people? Who says? And look at all the shame that is built around the, the people, you know, like the, the, look what happens to people who, question, who dare to question that normative and um, that narrative. It's really interesting when you really stop and think about, yeah, like, who does say that we have to have that? Like, why, why is there, why, why does that make me bad if I don't want to have that kind of relationship? And so being, beginning to question those thoughts, you know, bring doubt to those thoughts, to the, the whole big thing, like, who says we have to be, who, who's the one that's telling us that, like, you know, 0% body fat in a ripped body is good and something else is bad. Who's telling us that? You know, why is that, why is it unloving to have fat on our body? Like, who says that that's unloving? And look at that belief system and look at, and, and again, with all those belief systems, there's oftentimes a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry backing it up. So people make money off of these off these belief systems that just don't have to be true for you. Um, and this, this work, I truly believe that this work, inquiry work, is our, the keys to the kingdom. It's, it's going to let us out of the jail cells that keep us constricted and restricted and feeling like we are confined to a specific set of rules for living that we don't have to be confined to. This is freedom. This is what we get to do, and we get to experience so much joy, so much freedom, so much fun, 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 when we release ourselves, when we free ourselves from these belief systems that we don't question. So I love that you said that, Kathy. Really beautiful, really brilliant. Thank you. And, you know, I just want to say, too, I really love your homework, your forgiveness work assignment as well. And um, I love me some Brad, so I just think that he's so great. Yeah, that that's really pivotal that, you know, I finally got to a place where there's absolutely positively no zing left. Like there's, there's, there's no shame, there's no regret, there's no blame. There's only gratitude for everything that has happened. And I can really see him as, like Course in Miracles terms, like he's my savior who helped me wake up to a higher vibration of being in the world with gratitude and love. And yeah. it's like so beautiful. Yes. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. Magali, how about you? Byron Katie, what's your... Uh, I got the inhalers. You like inhalers. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, inhalers. It's bedtime. I'm sorry. Um, Byron Katie, I've got to be completely truthful I have issues with 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 the work I do have issues um sometimes I don't I don't I don't know if I can relate or 
for example, when it was uh, when her daughter died. That one was really difficult for me to just to use the work to go ahead and and um, and move through that belief, through her beliefs, through her feelings, using the work. But on the other hand, um, my son is weird. It just clicked right away. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, he is perfect. He is the child of God. He's like, great. So then I I was able to easily um, dive into in, into the work and and uh, use the uh, the worksheet and and do the turnarounds and I don't know if it's something myself or if it's the situation again when I'm comparing the there was the other video with um obs- uh, <laughs> was it? obsessed with comparing myself to others and again that one I understand I understood perfectly completely it's using my imagination to create images and um, these images are not true but I don't know if it's I, you've got to do some more work at it to be able to use it in different and situations all across the board. But um like but those two were like perfect examples where I, I got it and it made sense and it was so easy and it flowed and it it, go, it went back to my thoughts. You know, if I could change my thoughts or if I could get rid of this thought, my feelings are automatically going to change. So I still gotta work on the work. <laughs> well one of the teaching points, the first teaching point that Byron Katie talks about in the little booklet that we, that we reference is that we suffer when we argue with reality, right? So in the yes. example yes. of the mother whose daughter had died, mm-hmm. she is the, they were working with the belief my daughter shouldn't have died. She shouldn't have died. Okay. When she believes that, she suffers because her daughter has died. And so Byron uses the idea that your daughter should have died because your daughter did die. And that's the only evidence we have that your daughter should have died is because she did die. And to argue with that is only going to create upset and suffering. And what Byron Katie did in this example, in this um, scenario, is actually quite mystical. It's, uh, it's uh, very much, I think, aligned with Course in Miracles um, work because she challenged the mother to begin you know, she at least developed a willingness to accept that her daughter was more than her physical body. Yeah. Because she said, think of her. Do you feel her here? Is it any different than when she was alive and she was in another room? Knowing that she was still present, you felt safe. Well, she's still present. She lives in your thought, in your memory. She lives in your heart. That's very much, um, you know, mysticism is we are not these bodies. We are so much more than that. And so the what she was working with was just the denial. My my daughter shouldn't have died, but your daughter did die. And to argue with 
reality is going to create suffering. And hold on, I have a little dog here that loves to bark. Uh, hold on. Hey. And that's what's really free. I mean, that's freedom. It's when you can accept that I am upset. I feel, I, when you are able to get uh, present enough to allow the feelings of upset to arise, but not to argue with reality. That's really beautiful. That I don't understand. Because Byron wasn't saying you're not allowed to be sad. No. But she's helping the woman not argue with what happened so she can be present and in full acceptance. So beautiful share. And I think that you're not the only one especially as a mother that would have challenges with that, of course. Yes, I think, yeah, that's what was the most that I went ahead and went to myself going through that. Okay, yes, I know he's, you know, his spirit is here. He is here. He's not just a body. But I think it was when she gave examples that I'm not going to have a future with her or I'm not going to enjoy going to the park or doing this with her. And then there was a turnaround that, that's when it, I guess it was too much language. I was focusing more on the other other language. With when it comes to this happened, and I know God happened. Things happen for a reason, you know. If if mm-hmm. God decided this was his time to go, this time to go. Yes, it hurts, but you know I accept it and I love it, and that I can deal with. It's I guess just the you know there, and then the fact that there are those, those that sadness, and we are allowed to feel sad. That's, it's also that's thing. it also questions the belief system, the belief that they they didn't live a full life, that their life wasn't perfectly lived. And Byron always says that no matter what the lifespan was, it was perfectly lived. You know, and so it's that idea of yes, yeah, she'll never, I'll never get to have her, you know. I'll never get to be with her while she has babies. I can't have to be a grandma. Mm-hmm. And I can't, you know, do this and that. And the idea is, you know, does that mean that she didn't live, her life wasn't perfectly lived? That she had a full, perfect experience that was her perfect experience? And, you yeah. know, Byron shares this experience in um, in one of her books. And I think it was in the four questions. She talks, she talks about... Um, being in the delivery room with her daughter and her daughter delivered her grandson and the grandson, there's complications and it didn't look like the grandson was going to make it. But Byron was in that moment able to be so present with the grandson and knowing that even if this was it and this was the only experience that she's ever going to have with the grandson, it was perfect, it was complete and that he lived a perfect life even if it was just for a few minutes in out of the womb. Mm. And she knows it's perfect because it was his life. It was his experience. So it challenges all of our societal belief systems. But that's what this work is supposed to do. Like um, Kathy just said, bring doubt to the thought. Bring doubt to the belief. You know, all these ideas like, I'll never get to walk them down the aisle. Well, who says a complete life includes a wedding? 
You know, who says a complete life includes graduating from high school or graduating from college? These are all belief systems that we get to question because we make gradu- we make a college degree our savior. If I don't have a college degree, I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be hireable. I'll never get the job that I'm supposed to get. Who says? Who says? So, great. Something really wonderful to contemplate, Magali. Really beautiful. Really, 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 really beautiful. Yeah. And um, I definitely want to give Stephen the opportunity to share as well. So, Stephen, it's yours. Okay. Um, I love the inquiry work that's done by in the uh, Byron Katie work. I have for many years really um, oftentimes uh, you know answered when people have asked, "What is you know? T- tell me about one of your spiritual practices." And I often use the word doubt for the lack of a better word, but in in listening to the videos and reading the book, it's really inquiry that I'm doing. And it's, uh, I find, and I've used the word doubt because I find in that questioning and that asking myself primarily uh, what this means or, you know, what am I really thinking or what am I really saying is that I get closer to the truth, and you know, in using other spiritual terms, I get closer to God, and um, I, I love that process because in, in that inquiry, the individual's truth is revealed to them, and it's uh, you know, and, and you see, for example, in the videos, I, I you see their their face lights up. And I happen to have watched the latest videos. He lied to me. And, um, the guy was talking about a friend. I suspect, you know, they were very, very close based on what he was saying. But um, his handsome face, because the guy he thought was very handsome, um, would just light up every time he would do the turnaround. And suddenly the light bulb, you know, a big light bulb came on and the truth shone on him, was shining on him. And it was just a wonderful process. Uh, and it's great to see and it's great to experience it. And I, it, it sort of has brought me to understand this this process that I've done or practiced for a while. Uh, it's kind of brought it into more of a, into seeing it from a different perspective, I guess. Yes. Inquiry is the tool, guys. It's the tool that we have as practitioners to change our experience, change our life. Freedom. Cutting the cord. Reverend, Go ahead. Reverend Jesse. Yeah. Um, this is Amina. I would just love to add something because uh, Stephen touched on it, and I, I've been wanting to share this for a while, but I just haven't gotten to it. But since Please. He said this, and, and it was brought up with the, the Ann video of the woman whose daughter died. Um, there was a quote. There was something that uh, Katie said in that video that I actually wrote in my homework when I was in that module. And, it, and, the, and she said, I'm asking you, this is about inquiry, I'm asking you to get close enough to God to hear the answer. Through inquiry, we are shown the answers. And then at one point, she says, ask, listen, and be shown. Faith works the truth. 
sets us free, be still and listen. Oh, my God. Can you put that in the uh, Facebook group? Yes. Because I want to... <laughs> yeah, and it, it's great to remember, and I had never heard her say that before, but I just, I remember, and I, I love seeing the progress that you guys have really given this a fair shake, and I know that a lot of people had resistance or maybe still don't like it, but, you know, maybe the process seemed cold to you or you didn't fully understand its value, but really she's seeing this as a deep, meditative, tuned-in practice for, I think, both the person who is being, you know, being coached in the work and also the coach because you have to be so aligned to, to get closer that you can hear what's really coming up. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, yes. Any final thoughts on the Byron Katie material? So just review the booklet, guys. There will be nothing in the final exam that isn't in that little booklet. It's very self-explanatory. It's very simple. Um, not always easy, but simple. <laughs> I love simplicity. So moving on to Edwin Gaines, the four spiritual laws of prosperity. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to talk about it for a second. Because I know that a lot of you just did not resonate with this work at all. and uh, And I think it was because I mean, I understand why, because she's speaking in absolutes, and uh, these absolutes didn't resonate with you as an absolute. And I chose this book because it really helped me. And especially around this idea of tithing, that there's a lot of uh, people, you know, across the board, no matter what group you're in, um, a lot of people have resistance around tithing as an absolute 10%. And how can that possibly be true? And I can't wrap my mind around that as being a law and all that stuff. And great, you know, you have to have your own relationship with everything. And, uh, but I will say that most of the, uh, abundance teachers, prosperity teachers that I've worked with, are devout tithers. I myself am a devout tither. Um, and I've just seen it work miracles in my life. And it really works for me. So I'm going to continue to do it. And I've experimented with it from left to right, up to down, from Monday through Sunday. And I have found that when I am tithing 10%, I just experience more flow, more flexibility, um, more fluidity in not only my finance, but in many areas in my life. And it's a way that it's part of my spiritual practice. It's how I give thanks to um, God for expressing itself so beautifully in my life. And that's my practice. I don't know if we're going to continue with this book because 
it's never my intention to have something that feels combative. And it's never my intention to have something that feels too challenging to wrap your mind around to where you're just going to throw it in the fire. Um, I will say that we will, uh, because of the experience that this group had with um, the four spiritual laws of prosperity, which is has not been the same <laughs> experience as the other groups at all, um, we're going to wrap in, um, we're going to, uh, I'm going to implement the book uh, spiritual economics for us to review together, which is another wonderful book, and it has a different perspective on tithing that I think you guys would understand and relate with more. I think Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity offers very easy um, step-by-step instructions on how to begin to train your mind to focus on what you're interested in experiencing and gives you a way to go towards the vision in a space of authority, um, working with the creative essence of the universe and working with your subconscious mind to transcend the limiting beliefs and the limiting situations and to be able to have fun while doing it. I absolutely believe that if you're going to experience flow and abundance in your life, you must forgive. You must practice forgiveness. That is our function as the light of the world is forgiveness. And so forgiveness is a um, necessity. Jesse? Also, yeah. Can I make a comment about what you just said? Yeah, give me one second, and I'll, um, I'm going to open up the group. Is that cool? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, so forgiveness is essential, and so is being clear as to what your life's purpose is. Those two, when I, when I really got clear guidance as to how to hold my life's purpose, everything changed for me because then my purpose was able to flow through everything that I did. And that's how I was able to infuse love into doing administrative work. This is how I was able to infuse love into doing um, part-time jobs as I was continuing to learn and grow in, my, in this field. And it's how I will continue to be able to do any and everything um, that comes my way with, you know, an essence of love and, 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 and flexibility because I know what my purpose is. And it doesn't matter what the activity is. I know what my purpose is. And my purpose is to awaken to my oneness with God and to inspire others to do the same. And I know that I can do anything within that. And when I remind myself that that's my purpose, then I can bring that awareness with me into um, my work. So I'm going to open up the group. I do have a, sort of a question because it's a really great question to ask ourselves as practitioners, but I'd like to give um, uh, the, the group an opportunity to discuss it. And we might go about five to ten minutes over tonight, guys. I do apologize for that. I do my best to practice integrity with our time, time integrity. And so um, I'm going to invite you to be flexible with us so everyone can have the opportunity to share. But Hector, please. So what I wanted to say about the book of The Laws of Prosperity, I actually truly enjoyed that book. And what it gave me uh, personally, especially the section on tithing, uh, you know, for a, a 
a long part of my life, I used to pray for strength. Uh, and I used to pray for the strength to really pursue my dreams and follow my, my passions. And I know today that there is a strength within me that is given by a higher power that when I have a project, something that comes with the right intention in place, the strength is always there, always, no matter how challenging uh, something is. But I do know that what I pray for now is, is faith, because even though I deeply believe in God, I also recognize in myself that I have an ego mind that a lot of times is the one that takes control, and I don't have faith, and I don't have faith, and that's the reason why I want to take control. So for me, uh, tithing is becoming an exercise on how to increase faith. And I think that a lot of the troubles that we have is the 10% and all of that. And, and if we can just get rid of that and just, if it's 9%, 10%, 11%, whatever the number is, but, I, but the 10% for me is when I, when I do that, I'm taking a leap of faith and I'm exercising faith. And the way I see it uh, and the importance in my life today is, is that. It's a way to reaffirm my faith. Uh, and I love that about the book. That was beautiful. Thank you, Hector. What a beautiful share. I really, that turned, I, I felt the, um, I, I feel excited by that share. It's a really beautiful, um, clear way to share your experience. Lovely. Um, I will just piggyback on that, too. Um, this is the second time that I read um, <clears throat> Enduring Grain, and um, I first read it about seven years ago. Um, and this time I was able to read it at a, at a deeper level um, than I previously did. Um, I've always supported tithing um, because from the abundance that we give, or that we receive is from the abundance that we give. And we cannot accept or expect to receive unless we first demonstrate our willingness to give. Um, and then the other laws make complete sense. Um, forgiveness and goal setting, um, those are things that we um, try to strive for in our daily practice. Um, so I, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed it. Beautiful. So a question that I'd like to pose to the group around on this kind of topic and subject is, and uh, this is something that's, I think, very important for practitioners to contemplate because this is definitely a major, 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 major thing that people will come to you with is their finances. So my question that I'd like to for us to discuss for just a minute and I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on it is why... Is money a sensitive subject? Why is money a sensitive subject for most people? And since we're talking about the power of subconscious mind, we're talking about Brian Katie work. What belief systems are active that create sensitivity and uh, emotional charge around money? And um, 
why is it almost, you know, um, frowned upon talking about money in spiritual communities as far as talking about it from the pulpit and things like that. Like people uh, often, you know, harshly criticize people about talking about giving and asking for money from uh, for ministry. So why is money a sensitive subject? What are the belief systems around it and make it a sensitive subject? And um, why don't we just go down the line again? Uh, this time, though, we're going to reverse it. I'll throw that one in there. And we're going to start with Stephen. The love of money is the root of all evil. I think uh, for many people, in terms of in a spiritual community, thinking about uh, making more money or desiring to be much more, desiring to have a life of abundance, uh, is often thought about as having this, this greed, this love of money. And there's got to be something wrong with that. And I think oftentimes people feel like because they don't want to um, go to that place, um, they're okay with lacking. They they accept lack and create lack as a result of that. Beautiful. Yep. That's That's the one that people come back to a lot is that the love of money is the root of all evil. Something wrong with um, money. Something bad about it. But how could that possibly be so? So going up the line, thank you, Stephen. Magali, why do you think that money is a sensitive subject? Okay, so we'll come back to Magali. Kathy. Um, I think it's a wonderful question, and my answer is kind of multifold. So the first thing is I think there's the collective consciousness of ego that sort of fuels that and has been fueling it for a long, long time. Um, but then I think it's the individual ego because um, my uh, I, I think that the ego wants to be fiercely independent and um, autonomous. And so it sees money as something that it generates exclusively on its own and that it's responsible for. And so it wants the credit for that and doesn't want to share it or give it very readily or easily. And I've had like a huge shift about tithing um, with with the book and, and with um, the science of mind teaching, just in the practitioner training. And now I, I you know, I have been tithing off and on um, throughout my life, but it was always um, something I felt like I had to do and I didn't do it from a loving place and I did it with a lot of fear. And, and I think these are some of my thoughts about it. So, you know, it's projection. I'm sharing it with the group, my own stuff. Um, but I've really come to understand that, you know, the word itself ties literally means 10%. And um, it is 
for me, if I don't tithe 10%, say I'm tithing like three or five or eight, it is, it is definitely out of fear that God is not who he says he is and that God will not provide for me. And the, the major shift is that all there is is God in my awareness now. All there is is God. I've let go of the false belief that there's two powers, there's something in opposition to God. And so it's my way of very lovingly giving gratitude and appreciation and thanks to God. It was never my money. Nothing is ever mine or the ego's. There is only God. Everything belongs to God, including me. His power moves through me, as me, for me. And so giving the tithe is now a way of showing that love and appreciation. It's, it's thankfulness. It's like it was never mine to begin with. It's something, you know, I've just opened myself up to being in the flow and allowing abundance to come to me instead of just striving and forcing and struggling and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to, which is so egoic. And so it's, that's what I think it is and what it means. Rock on. Got it. Beautiful share. Again, guys, I just love your guys' share so well, so much. Hector, how about you? Mm, money is most definitely for many people an identity of self-worth. And I think that from a spiritual point of view, and the Course in Miracles says that Money is actually nothing. It serves no purpose. But we believe that we are sustained by everything other than God. And from an ego point of view, money is a very good way to exercise separation because we can see ourselves as different, as having more or less than, and it's just an idol that we have made out of nothing. Um, but the, the, the point uh, that most people uh, mistake is that their self-identity is largely influenced by how much money they have. For many people, it is a testament of their success, of their fulfillment, of who they are as adults and what they have done with their lives. And that's what they play their emphasis on. So uh, the reason why is, like, spiritually, money is really nothing. But in this level, it is a good way for the ego to exercise separation. Yes. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Francisco? Um, money is how, as a culture as a society, we give value to the physical things around us. And it's very personal to everyone, and it can be a very tentious topic of discussion. Um, to be able to give money freely, to be able to give your resources, um, frightens a lot of people. One of the, my teachers that I had early on, um, she decided to quit her corporate job and to do spiritual work full-time. And we went to an event and she was like, you know, money's going to be tight this month. And she dipped into her purse, and she pulled out a lot of money, and she gave it to charity. And I asked her, I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, this is the way the universe works. If I am expecting, if I'm wanting, 
to receive, I have to give. And whenever I've been tight with money, whenever, I'm sorry, whenever I needed money, whenever I needed um, an abundance flow coming in for whatever reason, I always gave a lot extra that month. And it always took like a month or so for it to get that return back, but it always came back. When we discuss money, whether with parents and children or with friends, it's it's very difficult for people to discuss. And I think that stems from a lack of fear, of, of, or a fear of lack, rather, of what will become of me if I give this up. And like Baron Carey said, fear is all future-based. It's never in the present. In the present, you can easily live without 20 bucks, $100. It is what happens in the future if you feel that you gave it $100 what will happen tomorrow, a month from now, when you need that extra $100? That's all fear-based. But if you live in the present and you are connected, you can easily, freely give, knowing that in this continuous cycle, you will always receive. Beautiful. Beautiful share. We're going to move along because I'd like to conclude tonight's conversation and on a reasonable time. So, Bruce? Sure. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, people know this about my educational background, but undergrad, uh, my major was an accountant. I was a CPA for a long time, um, and my minor's in economics. So I don't know if people know that about me. Uh, let's share that. So, um, you know, I come at money from sort of an analytical standpoint. I think, the, you know, but to answer your question, I think uh, it's, energy and that energy is used or can be used or misused. You can use your powers for good or for evil. And a lot of times, you know, we've seen it in society uh, that, that, that people with money use their power over other people to control other people. I mean, part of the women's liberation movement was when women started getting jobs. Part of the reason Jewish people started getting accepted was because people realized, oh, they have money to spend. Part of the reason why gay liberation is happening is because advertisers and businesses have realized, oh my gosh, this in group in general writ large has a lot of disposable income. And so, so um, you know, things happen because a person or a group has uh, money which is equated to to power, but which underneath it is really is really uh, uh, energy. Um, and just real quickly, because I know we're, we're we're close on time. You know, I think the the tithing thing is great. I see it as a ritual. I mean, tonight is the end of Yom Kippur. In theory, I should be quote unquote at synagogue, you know, to take part in certain sets of rituals. But I choose to be on this call with you guys because those are the things. That, that feed my soul, and, and that's what we've talked about in terms of spiritual sovereignty. So I love it as as a ritual, um, uh, you know. I, I think, and and I can see and understand how it would be helpful. And it's still something I'm considering, you know, particularly as I move into into the coaching uh, to create flow. Um, so that's all I'll say about that. Beautiful. Yeah, these are the belief systems. You know, I just have that. I have an image of Donald Trump in my mind that just says he's a loser. He's a loser, and that's the whole. I think that's the basic kind of that one of the underlining belief systems about money, and that 
it somehow, the amount of money we have somehow, uh, it dictates our worth, indicates our value as a person, as a member of society. And I think that we've seen what people have done for the love of money, you know, to get more money, to create more money, to create more power, to create more, all these things, you know, and it's that in that we have such deep ties to belief systems around money and our value that if we don't feel as though we have enough money, that there's something wrong with us. We've been taught that, you know. And so it's a very personal conversation for a lot of people because there's so much of that history, cultural history, embedded into it. And we're in the work of transcending belief systems, you know, of healing belief systems around that. So that's one thing that we have to really ask ourselves, especially when other people come to us for counsel, is, well, what do you believe that having a lot of money means about you? What do you believe that having a little amount of money means about you? What makes you valuable? And we'll end on that question, something to to contemplate as you go about the rest of your evening. What makes you valuable? So thank you all for sharing so beautifully, so poignantly, so clearly. And uh, I just I love you guys so much. And uh, it's been a real joy to be able to work with you guys. I um I feel like I've become a better teacher every time I teach any class with such an amazingly power-backed group of people. So uh, I, if you could see me now, I'd be bowing to you. And let's just say that we are um, bringing all the wisdom of our ancestors, the wisdom of our ancestors with us tonight as we uh, go forward with our hearts and minds open and go into our dream time and just setting the intention for our dream time as a time to release anything else that just isn't serving us, letting it go so we can be fully available to be the light of the world and enjoy the experience of being the light of the world and sharing all of the benefits of our conversation today with anyone, any sentient being who is suffering. We give thanks and we let it be. And so it is. Amen. So remember, mark the calendars. 12, 12 p.m. this Saturday, Heart Center. If you'd like to come uh, uh, have uh, some time with Reverend Roxy and learn more about Course in Miracles, ask your questions, uh, develop a conversation. Kathy, uh, I'll reach out to you with information on that because I'll definitely stream it if you'd like to. Um, and uh, But I'll do that tomorrow because it's getting late. I love you all. God will be with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Amina, for everything. And I will see you next week, at least Wednesday, as we do our final exam. Marvel. Blessings.